0: Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Isaac. And this is your boy, Bryce. And we are Brothers on Tennis. And folks, we have such a wonderful interview for you today. This is none. uh, It's not like any interview that we have done, because we've done interviews with players. We've done interviews with coaches. But this time, Bryce, we get to do an interview with one of the tennis world's physiotherapists. (laughs) I mean, this could be interesting, right?
1: (laughs) Very interesting. And, you know, there have always been very weird and unique rules around the sport of tennis as it relates to injury timeouts, and most recently, bathroom breaks, right? Uh, And and these type of things. And, you know, so it's going to be interesting talking to someone who's actually intimately involved in these type of happenings. Um, And then we will also find out about our guest that, you know, his background spans even broader than just the tennis community. And, um, I know at least one particular name that most people will probably be familiar with as well. So uh, I'm excited to talk to him.
0: Absolutely. And and folks, we ended up meeting this gentleman on the grounds of Indian Wells. So when we were there this past October, we happened to be walking the grounds, ran into our good friend Jaime, who happened to be talking to this gentleman. And the gentleman that we are speaking of is Noel Grez Pressner. I almost said that Z, Noel, but Noel Gressner, who is a physiotherapist on the Tennis Tour. And Noel, we're just really happy to to have you here with uh, Brothers on Tennis and happy to talk with you today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. And it was you know good meeting you guys out there at Indian Wells. And, uh, you know, it should be fun to kind of talk for a little bit
0: absolutely so digging right into it noah we're we're very curious as to really your background as a, as far as just in general things you know where you grew up and 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 your exposure to tennis uh, if you even had an exposure to tennis as you were growing up uh, given the fact that you're now kind of working uh, on both tours so uh, give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself
2: i grew up in i grew up in bristol virginia which is in the Southwest corner kind of Bristol, Virginia, East, Ten- uh, Southwest Virginia, East Tennessee area. And, uh, uh, in terms of any tennis exposure, there was a little bit in the summer through NJTL. I grew up going to the boys club and we played every sport, every season. And, uh, you know, I was including table soccer, table tennis, uh, running laps in the gym for, for stars, um you know every four square everything that you know we played so i grew up you know uh, across the span playing you know all different sports and you know some in the summer through njtl and then um as i got into high school my sophomore year i started playing on the high school team but i had transferred over from playing competitive table tennis Mm -hmm. and i was running cross country um you know at the time was running you know i started having some good success with running cross country which is why I think in junior high I started leaving like football and basketball and baseball because it, it seems to be that might be had been a path, you know, for a college scholarship.
0: Mm-hmm, and the guys, right. at
2: the, the coaches at the boys club were, you know, encouraging quite a bit and I thought, okay, maybe this is, you know, a path that I can take. And, and that was one factor, you know, my, my times are pretty decent and I was training with, you know, the high school guys. You know, getting up at you know five a.m. and being a practice at five thirty and junior high and running with the high school guys and then you know going you know back over to school and um, you know so I was running and kind of left the football, basketball, and baseball you know kind of behind and part of that was because you know everyone else was growing and I wasn't growing you know so the, <laughs> the speed the speed so helped and the quickness you know helped uh, you know with tennis you know, but the size, um, you know, wasn't, you know, continuing. So it seemed to be not as, you know, uh, an impact in in tennis or running than it was, you know, maybe in the other sports. But, you know, so that's kind of how I started in, you know, in high school tennis and ended up playing at a small college where my high school coach played also. And that's probably the only reason why I was able to, you know, to make the team was, you know, because of that, uh, you know, that connection. You know, so, you know, I was, you know, playing a little bit in the top six here and there and doubles. And then as the team got weaker, I moved up. You know? so, <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works out. Yeah. Right? You know, so I don't, I don't know. I, I think I was getting a little bit better, but the team was getting weaker at the same time. And so I ended up maybe like in the in the fourth spot my senior year as opposed to we had a lot of good athletes from Turkey, from Peru, Venezuela, England. So, I mean, it was, you know, competitive, you know, and and I was just basically happy to be there. And what I tell people is I was an athlete playing tennis as opposed (laughs) to a tennis player trying to become an athlete. So, you know, and the table tennis kind of fed into that with topspin, you know, pretty early on the forehand side. And, you know, I don't think I found a backhand until like three years ago. You know, so, so, I'm and, still and, searching. <laughs> so, so it's a little bit better now, thankfully. Thanks, um, you know, to Brian Gordon, who I was doing some some lessons with, you know, down here in Miami. But um, I'm still, you know, trying to get better. Uh, you know, just this week, I would say my forehand got better. But I mean, that's that could be, you know, just dependent upon the week. But so that's kind of how <laughs> I got you know involved. You know, with tennis in high school and then you know college, then became a you know teaching pro. Was teaching in the summer, and you know got better as a tennis player from teaching and coaching. And um, you know, kind of you know was wondering whether I should kind of pursue coaching because you can be not a good player and coach, right? You know, so you can motivate people and and do a good job, even teaching and you know things like that. I think, And, and not necessarily. I think that that changes. You know, the upper levels, you know, what a a pro guy wants to kind of have in his corner. Um, But you don't have to be the same, you know, level of player, you know, to coach. But I mean, I I thought about coaching and kind of ended up, um, you know, in sports medicine areas, strength conditioning, physical therapy, athletic training. So.
0: Gotcha. And and so I have a couple questions for you, Noel. So as far as the coaching piece goes, I mean, did you actually actively coach anyone? And if you did, were they on the kind of collegiate level, high school level or other?
2: Well, I used coaching tennis to help pay for my master's degree at Springfield College. So I was, you know, like when you get a GA, typically you're serving as some type of function and coaches will get a GA and get their foot in the door with coaching and kind of network and get the experience. And I did that for tennis. So, uh, I was a you know, graduate assistant, you know, tennis coach and you know, did recruiting was leading practices and leading our fitness. And, you know, the coach there was part-time. So I was on campus every day. So I would lead the team, you know, and a lot of our stuff. And, um, so I was a teaching pro through USPTA and PTR, which I need to renew my PTR certification uh, here in the, in the up and coming, but I had been PTA initially way back from like 93 and then did PTR when I was athletic trainer at Vandermeer Tennis Academy, like late nineties and, uh, used that, you know, number one within what I was doing in sports medicine. But then also, you know, I was teaching tennis through that time and I was coaching at Springfield college and, I was one because i like coaching you know the the aspect that i like in physical therapy and rehab and strengthening this thing is you know it's a coaching type of mode it's just in a different way yeah it's it's teaching movement it's teaching strengthening uh you know teaching people how to get stronger as opposed to a sport specific skill but i like teaching and coaching uh sports skills you know and so you know on the weight training end, like olympic lifts and and squat technique and things like that. That's kind of where I flesh that out as opposed to, I mean, I haven't taught a lesson in a few years, but, um, you know, that's kind of, so I was coaching, uh, you know, some, are you there? Yep. We're here. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah.
0: And we, yeah. Sorry about that. We had heard you say you were coaching and then it kind of paused a little bit.
2: Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, um, yeah, doing some coaching for grad work, but then, you know, just coaching individual private lessons and that kind of club, you know, type stuff after that.
0: Gotcha. And so Noah, what did you ever consider doing any coaching, like on the either professional tour, the satellite challenger circuit at all?
2: Um, no, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I started pursuing the master's in athletic training, and the doctorate in PT. Um, I kind of backed off of the kind of the, the coaching aspect. I mean, I think, I mean, I didn't grow up taking lessons. I never had any lessons in high school nor in college. I was just playing and watching, you know, technique and trying to get you know better that way. I didn't have any formal background. I didn't play any junior tournaments, uh, you know, nothing, you know, like that. So I think. I think it was more so of a confidence you know, issue to tell you the truth to kind of pursue the coaching. I was, I mean, you know, when I was in grad school, I was praying about, should I go into athletic training or should I go into coaching? And I had applied for a couple of assistant jobs, um, you know, at some D one schools thinking that, you know, the sports medicine aspect might be an attractive way to kind of, you know, package myself as a teaching pro, you know, mm-hmm. and on the strength and conditioning side and, you know, those things, it didn't work out. And, <laughs> you know, I just kept pursuing the, you know, the sports medicine job. So, um, I mean, even in, like you said, in the track world, I mean, I think for you know, what I do, it's good if we as sports medicine professionals know the coaching side. So, you know, going through the PTA and PTR and knowing, you know, and understanding tennis from that perspective, but the track and field, like I have, us I had USA weightlifting certification, which is your Olympic lifts And there are people who only coach that, but in strength and conditioning world, you use that. So to kind of know the coaching aspect of it in my strength and conditioning or rehab is, is a good thing. Or for me, you know, I had, and let it also lapse, but USA um, track and field, you can become a track coach and get that as a certification. And there's a different progression, just like as a, you know, a teaching pro can get USPTA, PTR, you know, not that you can't be a good coach necessarily without the you know, but but those are kind of industry standards that people recognize. You know, so it's like a, you know, it's a process you know that people go through. So, and there's you know different philosophies on you know coaching, uh, and coaching technique. You know, guys can be or you know, men and women can be you know successful with varying technique. Um, you know, and that comes down to you know, kind of an artistic aspect, athletic ability. You all those things come in, you know, come into play. So.
0: Absolutely. So you so you've got your undergrad, you've got a graduate degree in athletic training and you've got your doctorate in physiotherapy, correct?
2: Yeah. Physical therapy. Yeah,
0: Physical therapy. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. Man, that I mean, that that in itself is is incredible. Um, uh, All of that schooling. (laughs) Right. Because I was going to ask how
1: how long did that take you to complete all of that?
2: Uh, well, the undergrad was 4.5. I was uh-huh. a business major to start out with and all the other guys on the tennis team were business majors. And in my high school, I kind of had some, some, uh, it was like a DECA. It was like, uh, kind of like a business club. You could start work and you got out of school a little bit early, um, you know, to go work a job and you learn business type stuff. And so I was kind of interested in that some, but then, I mean, I was also an athlete, you know, you know, growing up as a kid. So when I get into college, and you know kind of was gravitating towards health and fitness and there's i had a couple injuries and went to the athletic training room and got some treatment and i was like hmm maybe i can stay in something medical and stay in athletics and that what drew me to athletic training and so i became a student athletic trainer as a junior and so that that delayed me from getting out of undergrad a little bit because there was at that time and the education has has you can't become an athletic trainer now unless you go into a master's program. So at that time, I was an internship uh, route candidate to take the certification exam, which meant I had seven basic courses and 1,500 hours of an internship in my undergrad. So I stayed an extra semester to finish up some hours in the athletic training room, which meant you know, I'm traveling with the soccer team or I'm traveling basketball, I'm taping, I'm getting experience in the athletic training room. You know, you're with the head athletic trainer. She's teaching you, you know, what she knows and you're learning in class. Or, you know, my professor, uh, you know, Rita Smith, she was teaching me, you know, you know, all the ins and outs. And then to take the certification exam, I felt like I needed some additional education, some additional coursework. And so that's where I went to Springfield. And I met up, I got a scholarship, I think, to the boys club. And the guy mentioned, oh, if you're going to an athletic training, you should go to Springfield College. You know, they're one of the best, uh, you know, schools for athletic training. So I contacted, reached out, reached out to the tennis coach. So okay. I've already got my teaching pro certification. Maybe, you know, I can do a GA in coaching because I could not do a GA in athletic training because you had to be certified in order to work into the athletic training room, you know, even as a a grad assistant. So that wasn't an option. And then I, I passed my certification in the second year while I was there at Springfield and, um, You know, so um, yeah, a lot of schools. So going back to the school question, so four point five in undergrad, but that was because of a major, and then all the internship hours, and then the minor, and then two years for the master's degree, and then two point four for the doctorate. You know, so maybe if I was a little bit more organized when I was younger, then maybe I would have tried to do MD or uh, DO or something like that. But I think I think the Lord has me doing what I should be doing. I think you, you put your hands on you know people more in what I'm doing and the daily treatment aspect, which I like, um, as opposed to maybe on the MD and DO side of things. You know, so um, I mean, I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but you know, I mean, it was you know, sacrifice to go back, you know, to do the doctor of physical therapy as opposed to you know, people can come out of undergrad and, and apply to PT school and go straight in, but I think. It was critical because you it's, it's tough to get the sports medicine experience um, if you just go straight in without, uh, you know, the, you know, the background um, going in. And now where the professions, you know, they have their, you know, their own, you know, stakeholdership, I guess you could say. So you can to, to be an athletic trainer now to become a certified athletic trainer, you have to uh, earn a master's degree. You know, so there's not many people who would do undergrad and get the masters and then go back and get the doctorate, which is basically what I did. But, but then the undergrad for athletic, it was a a bachelor's degree for athletic training. So people would go bachelor's degree, athletic training, and then, and then go into PT school, but I did undergrad and then the masters. So, I mean, I felt like, uh, you know, going back, you know, it was just making me a better athletic trainer. I wasn't trying to get out of uh, athletic training necessarily when I went to get the physical therapy degree. I was just trying to deepen my skills, improve. And I saw a lot of people, you know, the, the people that I was working around when I was at the USTA, um, like uh, Todd Ellenbecker and Kathleen Stroya, they were a PT. Kathleen's also athletic trainer. And, and anybody and a lot of people actually that you see in pro athletics, they're both, you know, so it's just a little bit more difficult now because, you know, you can't become an athletic trainer unless you're, you know on a master's degree. And for someone to spend that money and then go back to do the doctorate, as opposed to kind of how it was, it was maybe a little bit easier to do that back then, you know, so I think people make a decision now, you know, maybe just, you know, just be an athletic trainer or just be, you know, physical therapist as opposed to, you know, to both. But, You know know what's interesting to me, Noelle,
1: is I guess I have this general impression that when people decide to go into the medical field, this is something that they've had aspirations for since maybe like they were a child. You know, I'm not hearing from you like you as as a youngster, you were like, I want to one day be in the medical field. It, It sounds like you kind of, you know, weaved and transitioned your way through sports and finding your way to the medical field
2: yeah and i guess there's you know more medical than not and maybe that's just how i would compare myself if i look at you know nursing or other degrees maybe that's more organic meaning you're dealing with more systemic diseases Uh me as a as a as a physical therapist physiotherapist is the kind of the european term physical therapist is what we use you know in the united states so on the atp you would say physiotherapist is how they use the term i think it's uh you know, maybe more worldwide recognized as that term when you use that term. But um, yeah, like I said, maybe if I was more organized. And when I say that is, you know, I, w- I was kind of scared actually um, when I went to undergrad uh, to take the, the harder science classes. And because I didn't, something happened with my math in junior high where it fell off the map. And mm-hmm. when I got into chemistry in, into high school, I was struggling as if it wasn't for you know, my, my lab partner and who was also on the tennis team, you know, I probably wouldn't have passed the class, you know, and (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, what happened with my math, but I mean, I think even now I think about the math and, you know, and thinking about, you know, going back to PT school, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go through chemistry and physics if I'm going to do this. So, you know, I worked my tail off. I prayed a lot about it. And, you know, thank the Lord I passed those classes because those classes are really, weeder or outer classes, yep. I mean, unless mm-hmm. you're doing those right. things, like if you're gonna be a chemist or physicist and you're working in a lab, you might use some of those techniques, but when you are learning um, physiology and biomechanics and things like that, you can, I learned those things in undergrad. I had those classes in my master's degree, but I didn't have physics and I didn't have chemistry. So, I mean, you can learn chloride and potassium and magnesium and how a muscle cell contracts necessarily without having to do stoichiometry can you know, break down chemistry equations. <laughs> you know, thankfully, or I wouldn't even got you know, as far as I did. But you know, in order to, and then when I went back to school, I was I was in my early 30s when I was taking physics and chemistry. I had taken a job with the USDA in Key Biscayne, and on Monday night from five to eight thirty, I was taking night classes. And then on wow. the weekend, I was sitting in my apartment or at the beach or on a plane, you know, doing chemistry problems, doing physics physics problems to take physics one and two, chemistry one and two. And initially I was going to go, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be in debt to go to PT school, which, and that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. But, <laughs> so, so, and I was, I was trying to do it through the military. And if, I mean, you know, the military through army Baylor had a program where they pay for your school and then you have years of service to pay back. Well, you could have done like 4.5 years in the service and then maybe three years, um, you know, in the reserves, but your school was paid for and you got paid. So I'm like, okay. You know, I had a little bit of a loan. That one of the, the members from tennis club where I was teaching, you know, he had a foundation and, uh, you know, I was, you know, almost not going to grad school and athletic training because I didn't really have the money and the, and the the fellowship uh, that I had the second year wasn't there in my first year. I had an assistantship the first year, which paid for, you know some things, but not everything. The fellowship paid for everything. The second year when I was coaching at Springfield, so there was a, a gentleman that you know actually that lives down here in Miami had a, a foundation, and um, you know he goes, you know, don't not go to grad school because of the finances. And I thought he was just, you know, you know, here's a rich guy just saying, you know, hey, just try harder, you know, type of thing. But then, <laughs> you know, as I as the summer went on, some of the other members said, hey, you know, he was serious. You know, if you want to go to school could be some financial help. And I was like, huh, okay. So we talked about it and he gave me a loan for $10,000. And that's bridged the gap with what I didn't have, you know, from the assistantship. And then in the years after I graduated, I paid him back, you know, a set amount of money until I paid it back. And then as, as it would be three weeks before I started physical therapy school, I had paid the last, you know, loan payment to him. And then jump back into that with PT school. So, like I'm saying, <laughs> it was it was it was a journey. And I was trying not to have that happen because you know, because I was looking at the military and saying, and, you know, but the military route, they've got good education. You know, it's very musculoskeletal, and you know, the research that the military does. So it wasn't just that, you know, the program there, I had met a guy, an athletic trainer at a at an athletic training program. Um, and then he, you know, he was telling me about it, you know, PT had gone to a doctorate. And, uh, um, you know, I was hoping, you know, to, you know, not just I had a master's degree and I was hoping, you know, to to get a doctor, but I wasn't so sure about the PhD um, aspect because I, you know, the research aspect, I didn't fall in love with that aspect in, in my master's degree. And and that was my, my research project there was on tennis elbow. So it was kind of a tennis, you know, project, you know, that I had there. And, um, you know, so that was kind of the you know, the route, how I got, you know, and then, and then I was trying to use tennis. I said, if anything I could do in the pro world, even when I was an undergrad, I'd like to work the Olympics and uh, I'd like to work in pro tennis. You know, I like being around tennis. I like all sports, even now, football, basketball, track, you know, baseball, you know, I could work any of those sports. You know, I've worked in college, you know, sports medicine and there were smaller schools. And, you know, the fortunate thing, I think when you work at a smaller school or unfortunately, because you're, you're like you're working with everybody, so you're very busy, you know, most of the seasons, whereas bigger schools, I think, you know, they separate you, you know, okay, you're the athletic trainer for football, or you might have two sports, a major sport and a minor sport, but then you don't get to work with some of the other athletes. And, you know, where I grew up playing all sports, you know, I kind of have an appreciation for all of it, you know, and I still I shot basketball three days ago. You know, you know, so um I, I consider myself, you know, like that, you know, I can kind of communicate with a basketball player or a soccer player, or, you know, just because of the experience in working, you know, those sports in the collegiate, you know, level. So you know, I can appreciate, you know, you know, you know, all those aspects and. uh Right. You know.
0: And Noel, a question for you, because you had mentioned that you were kind of doing USTA, and then you were kind of doing classes at night. When was it that you actually started officially working on the tennis tour? As far as when was it when you were doing your undergrad, was it your masters, was it the doctorate? When exactly did your official work start from a from a tennis standpoint?
2: Um, well, every job that I had, even collegiate, the the, the collegiate jobs that I had early on, I was also the athletic trainer for tennis. So I would consider ah. those You know, even as a student athletic trainer, I'm taping the ankles, one ankle for sure of one of my athletes and the AD who was our coach is like, you know, look at this, you know, this guy taping ankles, you know, one of our own, uh, players is taping the ankle of another player. And I had, you know, so even from my undergrad, you know, I was working kind of in tennis and then every college job, you know, basically I worked in tennis and my first uh, real uh, like tennis entity outside of collegiate was at the Vandermeer Tennis Academy. And so I had um, taken a job at a clinic and the clinic on Hilton Head Island had, they, you know, a lot of clinics will do outreach sports medicine to high schools and things like that. They'll they'll hire the athletic trainer and they'll send them out to a school and then the athletic trainer will have kind of, you know, do some work in the clinic or be assigned, you know, or have some duties in a school or, or both. And so I was, um, athletic trainer at Vandermeer. So I would work in a clinic helping, you know, the therapists at the time with, you know, rehabbing their patients, leading the exercises and doing modalities and things, which I was kind of frustrating because, you know, I had already had that experience, you know, as a athletic trainer in, you know, the collegiate world as a head athletic trainer and assistant at a college. And then I come into a clinic and basically you know, it's kind of like a tech with a master's degree, which is kind of frustrating. And then I'm seeing the therapist work. I'm like, you know, I think I can do what they're doing. And that kind of was some of the things, you know, that kind of spurred me on to pursue also physical therapy, but then, um, you know, also kind of bridge, you know, some of the gap in between some of the knowledge I felt like would broaden my scope, uh, -hmm. as a PT, adding that to, you know, the athletic training aspect. Um, so, uh you know kind of going back um you know Bryce to what you were saying so.
1: so yeah and 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 so i'm assuming that you then on the tour or or one of these resources like when you know a player mid match has some sort of an issue and they called the trainer uh you come out and you assess what's going on and you make some sort of determination of whether this is something you can treat on court or off court. Uh, What is that whole process like?
2: Okay. Let me go back though, because you're, you're, I lost your question like halfway through. I started doing pro tennis work in 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, I started just um, working um, qualifying for Delray beach was the first time that uh, uh, Todd Ellenbecker had reached out. And, you know, I'm in Miami, they will close. And then, you know, there were some you know upper level players that would come through Key Biscayne. Key Biscayne was more so of, a, uh, you know, kind of players would come in and train and then leave as opposed to Boca where people were living there. And then, so when I was head of athletic trainer there at USCA in Boca, the, the pro American players that we had, uh, I was working with them, you know, but first pro in terms of working pro tournament, was was 2009 uh, and then kind of started slowly working some tournaments uh, then. So when you're going back to working, uh, when you're saying, you know, when did you start working in the pros, that was it. And then kind of a, a trickle you know, because I was working pro tournaments with my vacation time at my job, the clinic job that I had in here in Miami uh, previously. Sure. So, you know, whatever vacation time I would save up, you know, I would uh, reach out to Todd, hey, I can work this many tournaments. And I would work those tournaments on my vacation time, you know, so, and that's kind of, you know, led to w- what I'm doing now. But so you were talking about mindset when, when you get called out to the court for a medical timeout, was that the question? Yeah. Uh huh. Well, typically you're doing treatment in the training room on someone else when that happens. Okay. So you'll get a call on the radio. So unlike other sports, football, basketball, baseball, you're there on the sideline in those sports. So you get to see the context of kind of what led up to that injury, and then obviously you're the first person out there. I'm the first person out there to examine that injury, you know. And if if it's football, you'll see the, you know, you'll see the the doctors and other medical staff will come out with the athletic trainer, you know, out onto the field. But in tennis, you're doing treatment, you know. So it's like working in a clinic, and then all of a sudden something happens out on the court, uh, unless like how I met you guys you know, you're a Rover, like maybe at a grand slam. And then if it's, if it's more quiet, maybe you can, you know, or not as many matches going on, maybe you're, you know, courtside at a match, or maybe as the, as the tournament goes on and there's less and less players and less and less matches, you can be out there for a match, you know, kind of be courtside. And it always makes it easier when you kind of get, have the, the temperature of what led up to what's going on. So typically though, you're on the radio or you know you might get a text you're on the radio you get a call um you know players requesting the physio or play has stopped and then you you're leaving what you're doing and you're going on to the court without having seen what's going on and then that's when you start what we would call in the healthcare field healthcare field your subject of history what happened you know what did you feel what are your symptoms you know and, and you have only a brief time uh to make that assessment because it's, you know, the other person is not playing. You know, they're uh-huh. sitting and getting cold. Right. So, as opposed to other team sports, okay, sub them out. You get hurt, you try to do an examination. If they can't continue, then you bring them off. Someone else is subbing in, not in tennis. This other person, you know, is waiting. So it's not like you have all day. So it's not timed for your assessment, but it's kind of supposed to be pretty brief. But if you take a medical timeout, which is you've determined that, okay, I can do some treatment on whatever you're dealing with. I can make a difference with this injury. And then you tell the chair umpire and the supervisor, okay, I'm going to take a medical timeout. then you're on the clock. Then you have three minutes to do your treatment, you know, for that player. And then you get two subsequent treatments, either on a changeover or a set break to try to make some type of difference for that player. So obviously um, play, is not disrupted in that context, because that's on, you know, the break time, you know, so you only have uh, 90 seconds on a changeover set break, you have 120 seconds, you know, or two minutes, you know, to do something. And so um, that's kind of how that process, you know, plays out. Is that you're, you're a little bit blind, you're a little bit blind going out, which makes it more challenging as opposed to seeing things develop and kind of having a context when you go out. Like if you're – if I'm working a basketball game and you have guys crowding the rim, you know, typically I'm going to watch – I'm not a fan. I, You know, you have a sense of what's going on, but I'm watching how this guy lands. I'm watching the contact or the elbow. How is he going to respond? Is he able to run down the court or is he limping now? Because I know in just a minute I'm going to be called upon to, Mm -hmm. you know, to work. You know, so – and then that's going to come down. The coach is going to be asking can this guy go, you know, because it's going to affect what he's doing and, you know, what, the, how the team is going to compete. So I'm, I'm watching all those things. So when you come out on the court, you know, it's, it's different, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just a different, you know, scenario. It's unique in, in, in sports medicine world or unique to my experience, you know, anyway, working with, you know, other sports.
1: I want to, now a question I've always had, and I'm actually kind of excited to be able to ask <laughs> a real professional about this. And I'm not asking for any names. I'm not asking for you to put anybody's business out there, but have you know, you hear the conversation sometimes about players using the medical timeouts and gamesmanship. Yeah. Have you ever been called out for a medical timeout? And you're assessing this player, and you're thinking in your mind, "There ain't nothing wrong with this person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 ain't nothing wrong with them,"
1: you know. But you have to be professional, and you have to do your job. Have you ever had that thought about a particular situation?
2: Um. Well, yeah, that's tricky. Uh, that's a pretty loaded question. But so my <laughs> <laughs> my job out there, the players, the player has got to have trust in me. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a that's an established that's a relationship, you know, when I'm treating an athlete in the clinic or I'm treating on the court and especially on the court, because they're in the heat of battle. And if they're struggling, you know, um, uh, you're 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 trying to help them in that context. And they're calling you out there with hopefully, uh, you know, with that intent. Could there be some other intent? Maybe. But my job is really to believe that player um, and, and to try to make a difference. And so where the where the rubber meets the road is, is I've got to try to determine from an objective standpoint what is going on, okay? So I'm trying to determine something physical that is a problem. So what we have is we have, you know, like you do the history and just like if you go to the medical doctor, he's listening to what's going on and, you know, you you learn in school, well, the diagnosis is made 80% of the time based upon the subject of history. And then you com- you complete your clinical exam. Clinical exam is you're you're palpating you're touching whatever is you know the you know the complaint you're trying to stress test that area which is what we call a special test you're trying to provoke those areas to try to determine okay what's wrong so is it a muscle strain or is it cramping well good question you know the player may not even know sometimes what they're experiencing if they haven't experienced cramping before which a lot of players have and if, you know, you see it happen in other sports and it happens quite readily, you know, in tennis, you're trying to determine, uh, you know, what, you know, the injury is. Okay. So um, have there been cases where someone has told me that they weren't honest? Yes. And, you know, but in that context, I kind of had a feel also that I had, yeah, it was just recent, actually. It was, it was a medical timeout and the, and the athlete did tell me that there were two different issues going on. Well, you can take care of one and then it's like, okay, you know, there's a limited time. And I think you can, uh, you know, according to the rules, if there's two body parts, can you take a medical timeout at one time for both? And I think that can happen and Lee, and I would have to dig in and, and answer that question or ask that question. Even sometimes when the, when the tricky things come up, there's some basic stuff and there's some tricky things. So I'd even have to, I would go to like a supervisor and say, Hey, you know, this scenario, you know, in that type of case, but he had two things. I treated the one and uh, he took care of it. He was competing. And then as he sat down again, he asked the chair, Hey, can, you know, I need to see the trainer again. And then he asked me about, you know, the other body part. And I was a little fishy on the other body part based upon the information that it was giving me. I was like, okay, you know, let me just work on the, on the, on the, on the timeout or on the, on the changeover and see how you go. Since we, you know, already, you know, took this other one. So, I mean, the player, you can have a medical timeout for a new condition. So if I sprained an ankle and, you know, I can take a medical timeout for that. And then if I strain my quad, I can take a medical timeout for that. So you can have, you know, I could decide to take a medical timeout for these conditions. But once that has started, you only have two subsequent treatments opportunities for it. For each or
0: for, or for yeah, for each
2: one. Yeah. For each one. one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then sometimes I could treat something on a changeover and not take a medical timeout knowing that, okay, maybe I could use some additional time uh, for this later on. Let's treat, let's treat and then see how we progress. And then maybe, okay. You know, the things that get tricky, if you're taping ankle, you're taping different things, you know, three minutes, you know, I, I need to get all my supplies and stuff ready to go. Then tell the chair, okay, I'm ready. And once right. they know I'm ready, then you're on the clock. So, you know, going back to your question, you know, there, I'm my job is to believe them and to prove, um you know, that that a medical timeout is warranted because I'm also held, I'm not held accountable to, you know, uh, the other person that's sitting there also. Right. You know, so I mean, are they faking or not? Does that happen? You know, it, it can happen um but i mean i think you know uh, you're going based upon a trust relationship you know in that context and then if that trust is breached still i'm i'm trying to determine does whatever that the player is dealing with um you know how can i how can i assist them not whether to determine if they're lying to me or not because then i'm trying to deal with too many things you know so i would go out there with a mindset of i'm believing what they say you know, but you do have to be aware of the score. But if I'm aware of the score, where are they at? Then it's like, hmm, is there some type of secondary gain here? You know, could it be? It, I mean, it could be uh, in some cases. You know, have I blatantly had someone do that? Not blatantly. I think, you know, like in the other case, you know, the other player said, yeah, I think I was. I think I was priming. It's like, well, I, you know, I was kind of twitching, but I wasn't really sure. And I'm like, okay you know, maybe it's not so discernible, even to the player, if they have, you know, because the player said, yeah, I was crimping, but you and I've watching them play. And so I decided to take a, a medical timeout on the first injury. And I think what I assessed it to be was what he was dealing with and not crimping, especially for that area. And then the other area, I thought, well, this could be more so on that end of the spectrum, you know, so I did what I could within, you know, the changeover. But then afterwards, a player told me, it's like, you know, I didn't, I didn't think you would allow me to have um, a medical timeout if I told you I was cramping and I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you're, it's like, regardless of whether you felt like I would give you the timer or whether you could take the time. Now you should be honest. Number one. Right. You know, So right. we had some learning there. It was younger players. Like, dude, okay. I can treat you, but I can't take a medical timeout. So, like, Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, yes, but it shouldn't matter. You should be honest with me regardless. You know, I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, you know, so it was, a, it was a good coaching opportunity, you know, for a younger player to say, look, mm-hmm. you know, no, this is the rule. And regardless of it, if it's the rule, so it's kind of some character development, you know, along the way also. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I was, you know, treating him after the fact in the training room. So he comes in and I'm like, all right, you know, let's, let's talk to, you know, this young guy and, you know, let him know kind of here's the procedure. And if you're going to be a pro, you know, this is how you want to you know, uh, handle yourself. And so, I mean, I think a lot of it has to, you know, if you say gamesmanship and using this, that, and the other, yeah, you know, I try not to, to get into that because then I'm trying to decide whether the guy is being honest or not. I have to be as objective as possible because when it comes down to it, Hey, what were you treating? You know, or this is what my decision was, you know? So, I mean, ultimately the player knows in their head, and then I'm trying to also discern, Um, you know, to take care of the player as best as, uh, as I can, you know, so. Right,
0: right. And Noel, just question for you. So you've been out on on the tour, you've been working across multiple sports for, from a tennis perspective, what are the typical injuries that you've, you've at least seen and treated, um, um, you know, throughout your, uh, throughout your career?
2: Yeah, I think um, cervical issues um, can, you know, on there's, there's a chart, I know there's been research done on it. Uh, and I think maybe low back is probably number one. Okay. Um, you know, the wear and tear, you know, the rotational, the stops and starts, uh, loading on serving, you know, that type of thing. Uh, shoulder, I think is, you know, probably number two, hmm. uh, number three, more and more is like the medial forearm, what we call the flexor pronator group. So in tennis, you have tennis elbow, typically higher level players aren't getting tennis elbow. Typically that's a a problem that anybody could get Uh, a tennis player could get it, you know, but um, you know, like repetitive gripping, you know, so that's more so on the outside of the elbow where you can get some wear and tear degeneration, some inflammation at the tendon that's attachment, where the muscles on the, on the outer forearm, um, where they attach to the bone, but then on the inside aspect where the, where the muscles on the inside aspect of the form attached on that bony prominence is where a lot of tennis players uh, get beat up because of the gripping. Number one, snapping uh, with serve, you know, Mm -hmm. either slice or, you know, more so on a topspin forehand and that type of thing. So medial forearm, uh, I might put that probably, you know, third on the list, you know, low back cervical stuff, you know, people travel a lot, your head's in a funky position or your sleeping in different hotel rooms. So the, you know, cervical spine, uh, you know, can get beat up and then, you know, groin quad Achilles. I mean, anything has its, uh, you know, you know, no one is coming through without some type of cost physically, you know, in, in in any, uh, sport, you know, and, and at most ages and, and stages, you know, so, you know, it takes, Uh, a lot of hours on the court, a lot of hours of practice to get to a high level and your body changes. A lot of, you know, in tennis, it's more overuse and the adaptive changes and the chronic uh, overuse that you get in certain areas, as opposed to, you know, like your other sports, contact sports, um, you know, you get collision, more opportunities for ankle sprains in basketball, like volleyball, soccer. It happens in tennis, but um, you know, maybe not as frequently from an acute injury standpoint, a lot of it's chronic, you know, there's where the manual therapy comes into play quite a bit uh, and be able to, you know, treat those musculoskeletal conditions, which was one of the reasons why I went back to the PT school is to add that education in to broaden and widen the scope. And where I went to school at university of St. Augustine, uh, you know, they're kind of known for that. So I pursued that and, um and then you know continue to try to get better because you know all those you know, physios on the you know on the tour they're they're all good in and, and manual therapy so you gotta be able to do those you know techniques and um and when and when you t- when you talk about like
1: the medial forearm um yeah. does this make sense to you so and, and Isaac knows this about me for for years um I thought I had tennis elbow mm-hmm. and I went, I finally went to the doctor one time because it was limiting and it still kind of does today how much I can play. And the doctor said, you don't have tennis elbow. You actually have what we call golfers elbow. Yeah,
2: yeah. So does that make sense to you? Yeah, that's, and that's, I, I just didn't name it. So tennis is, um, lateral precondylitis or tennis elbow, but on the inside form, you call it golfer's elbow and it's a tennis player getting golfer's elbow, you know, which is kind of you know uh oxymoronic, I guess you could say, but yeah, it's that repetitive gripping, repetitive snapping, um, from serving and um you know, maybe grips have uh an effect in how the leverage of the rackets and how technique and biomechanics come together and where the forces come together, you know, at that on the on the inner aspect. If you were to stand facing forward and put your palms also facing forward. It's called the anatomical position. So the medial forearm would be, um, you know, what is facing forward—the bony prominence, you know, that inner aspect of the elbow—and that's that's a uh, you know big time area. Uh, you know, wrist problems also. If you want to put that in there as well, probably in category number four or five.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah,
2: that's um, it's it's you know, pretty prevalent, uh, you know, on the men's side for sure.
0: Gotcha. And 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 Noel, when you are at a tournament. Typically, how many physiotherapists are there on the grounds? I mean, do, is there like a set number or are you the only one or how do they how does that how is that managed?
2: Yeah, well, it depends upon uh, the level of tournament level. and the level yep. of tournament kind of determines the number of players. Right. You know, to a degree, I think, you know, so a master series like when you, when you guys saw me you know um yeah, there might be five or six guys at a tournament at uh, you know like a master series event mm-hmm, or a grand mm-hmm. slam you could have five and six guys and then you know you might have like at the u.s open uh, i think it's court 17 you'll have someone there because it takes so long to get there so if you're right. in the training room by the time you know people are sitting there then all the time and then you got tv that's involved and you know that type of thing so you have somebody that's stationed there and then at, on the grounds also. So like at Indian Wells, there was somebody in the second stadium. And then I was, you know, uh, we rotated. Uh, but, you know, I was out there at the time when, you know, when we all met. And then you had like three or four guys that were in the training room treating, you know, all the other guys, you know, that are coming, right. either going out or coming back in. Uh, so it could be five or six at a Master Series event or, and probably same for a Grand strand, Grand Slam. So 128 draw. You know, you need, you know, and then there's a lot of guys, you know, that, you know, those events that might have some people as well. So, you know, that that helps to kind of reduce it, but only by you know a few, you know, because not everybody has you know their own private physio, you know, taking care of them. So.
0: Right. And that was actually going to be my follow up question to you is, have you actually been a, you know, a PT for any specific player or has it just been for. Uh, you know the USTA and or ATP cuz i'm not sure if you do WTA right
2: um no i haven't um you know nothing uh yeah no you know no work you know there um yeah you know, just ATP and USTA so in that context really it's it's more of a you know traditional healthcare provider for the whole team and that's right. also a unique aspect of tennis because the whole team is their each person is their own individual team you know, so, uh, you know, you're 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 treating everybody that comes to the door that needs, you know, treatment and care. And, uh, you know, I think that that's where that comes back to, you know, that trust on the court in those medical timeouts. Um, you know, you're, you're developing trust with the player all through, just like you would in any medical context. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be able to, you know, to trust you. And, uh, um, you know, so... You know, setting it up in an adversarial way of oh, I think you're you're faking, you know, would be, you know, like a you know a bit funky. Does it happen? It can happen, but <laughs> right. you know, within that context of the heat of the battle, you know, given the benefit of the doubt. But but for individual player, no, not necessarily. Uh, track and field, yes, but not in tennis.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, and I think that that's a good segue. I mean, that uh, one of the things that we had talked about when we met was the fact that you were working with a uh, track and field uh, Olympiad and uh, someone who has previously medaled in the Olympics and uh, was uh, uh, actually ran this past uh, 2020 slash 2021 Olympics. Want to let our listeners know or provide some uh, insight into, into that.
2: Um, yeah. Um, uh, the athletes, Cillianne Fraser price and she's Jamaican sprinter and, um, you know, I had treated her for, you know, some time. Um, th- there was an agent in Jamaica and he would bring athletes up to, uh, to the clinic in Miami, you know, so we would be, you know, providers, you know, for them while we we're there. And they'd go back to Jamaica and, you know, get you know more care there. And, you know had treated Chilean for a few years and leading up uh, to the Olympics you know this year we started talking back in probably uh September of 2019 about um you know maybe you know doing more full-time and kind of as time you know progressed I was going down doing some treatment coming back up to Miami and you know eventually made the decision you know to go down full-time this past May hoping you know, you know, to be, be able to be with her there at the Olympics. Um, you know, so, but I knew that wasn't guaranteed, you know, when I went down there, you know, so it wasn't like, yeah, you, you know, for sure you come to the Olympics. So as it, as it had, you know, COVID still having an effect and, you know, I couldn't, you know, they wouldn't allow any private um, staff, if you want to put it that way, you know, with a, with a particular athlete uh, in the Olympic village. You know, no one was staying outside of the Olympic Village, and so when, when that came to light, you know, hey, you won't be able to go, you know, with me, you know, on my own. Her and her coach asked if I could be named to the team, and if, you know, Jamaica ended up taking seven massage therapists and no physiotherapists, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to Tokyo. So um, that you know got kind of got cut short. So it worked from like mid-May until like you know later in July you know, when they ended up going over and, you know, unfortunately didn't get the opportunity, you know, to work in the Olympics there. There were a few athletes, other athletes I had also treated when I was down there in Jamaica that were on the team and, you know, so I had good rapport with them. And then, you know, some other athletes along the way, you know, if we were at a meet know, someplace in the summer, you know, I might treat, you know, a person here or there that a coach had request, you know, from her, you know, if I could, involved in some treatment on their athlete and you know so it was good it was it was a neat experience um i mean like i said i ran you know cross country you know i had always been a runner you know from you know from a young kid so i always had a love of running and then you know with the you know the jamaican sprinters would come up um you know it was always fun to kind of you know talk to them or trash talk really because i mean at that point it's you know it's jamaica against usa and so it's always you know you try to try to kid and talk trash and you know, (laughs) Shelly Ann's a world beater. So, you know, you just try to say, you know, nothing you say is going to go anywhere, but it's like, you know, just to kind of, you know, give her a little bit of hard time. So, um, you know, it was kind of like that. And I had, I, you know, did my volunteer to work with the Olympic committee with the U S you've got to do your volunteer time. So it was a little over a two week volunteer at one of the Olympic training centers. And I had did mine in 2013 in hoping that I could work real, and in 2016 and then it just never you know came about you know to be able to work rio and then you know so you know to have an opportunity to work with you know obviously you know you know um you know was a huge opportunity and you know you know great attitude hard worker hard worker big time um you know was a special thing and for her to you know to kind of you know trust me in that way was you know it was a blessing you know really so um, and she'll, she'll, you know, defend her world title. She won the world championship in 2019 for the hundred and, mm-hmm. you know, she'll have, you know, competition there for sure with her, you know um, you know, country women in Jamaica and then, you know, right you know, world, world, other people trying to get on that podium as well. So, uh, but she's working hard now Absolutely, uh, you have to do her best, you know, to give herself the best opportunity. So, uh, and, and it's, you know, you know, sacrifice, no one, pro tennis, college sports, none of that. It's all, um, it goes down to, you know, it's a sacrifice to, to want. There's a book I read named, you know, the title's Grit. A very good book. And, you know, it, it, it talks about, um, you know, the dedication and the desire that you have to have and talks about talent. You know, people talk a lot about talent, but the equation in the book that, that I felt like made a difference. And kind of going back, you're talking about going to school. know, and all the different education, it was the equation to success was that effort counted twice. Mm. You know, it was the passion that someone had, uh, you know, to pursue a certain activity. And then it was the effort. So I I don't remember the equation exactly, but it was, if it's like, talent plus effort equals skill, skill plus effort equals achievement, something like that. And, um, you know, it's comforting to know that maybe you might not be the best, But if you're willing to sacrifice and work hard, you can, you know, you can do pretty well and achieve, uh, you can achieve some goals. So, uh, and no one out there, um, you know, that's that's competing at those high levels, you know, it's almost, you wouldn't say badge of honor, but yeah, you get beat up because of all the effort that it takes, you know, so, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I tell you what, my friend, you talk about talent, skill, and effort. Um, <laughs> based on what you've shared, uh, <laughs> right. you've got an abundance of that, man. I mean, this, <laughs> it's incredible, Noel. I mean, what you have gone through, again, your athletics, as well as all of the studies you've done, all of the work that you've put in, it's its an incredible career that you have established. And your path to getting to this point, in my opinion, is 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 absolutely phenomenal. It's incredible.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, thanks. I would, you know, give credit to the Lord for sure. Giving me, Absolutely. The, um, you know, the desire to do it, um, the ability to do it, opening doors, um, you know, so I would give him credit first and foremost. And I think that, you know, from a faith-based perspective, you know, he gives you things that, you, that you'd like to do and are talented towards. And, um, you know, uh, not, not one, not if I do this, God does this. Right. You know, type right. of scenario. But I think that, you know, if he's built you a certain way and you're working and pursuing and, and you know, living your life you know, for him and, you know, trying to honor him in that way that, um, you know, that he'll allow you to, to, you know, if you're doing it, I think and it's what I try to do as a, as a kind of as a servant. You know, so in using what I do professionally as, in service to the Lord, is kind of the is how I how, how I see it. You know, so, Mm you know, from a Christian perspective, you know, you need high level performers. Not that I'm saying that I'm a high level performer, because I would, you know, I would say that all those guys on the tour, you know, are very high level and I'm probably the weakest one. But, (laughs) you know, you've got to, you know, the sacrifice to do it. And I think he has created and opened the doors and the opportunities for it, you know, so. You know, I'd give. Yeah, you got to put the effort in, and I think uh, I'd give the credit to him for sure, first and foremost. Well, I is, think you're.
0: I, yeah, I
1: love yeah, that I,
2: perspective.
0: Yes, sir. I think you're incredibly humble, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> well, uh, which, yeah. which is key. That is that is key. Humility is key. Um, definitely. Go ahead, Bryce.
1: No, that I totally agree with you. I, I just loved hearing that perspective. Um, and so, you know, Noelle that you know we get a bit of a picture of your background and what you've done and what you're doing you know we're at the end of the year now and we're heading into 2022 what's on the roadmap for you next year
2: um well i'm working more so with the atp as a contractor i'm not full-time you know with them but this year tentatively, i'll work 18 tournaments so when i left the clinic you know i was you know like i said i was doing that on my vacation time but we're working and leaving with Shelly Ann. Um, you know kind of open the door to work more on the pro side. and then you know we'll see still doing some work with you know, Shelly Ann and see you know what she needs next year. and then uh, I've been doing some private client work, uh, you know here in Miami, and then you know we'll see um, you know how it can uh, you know work out. I was working with. You know, just so happened, one of my former co-workers does work with uh, Inter Miami and he goes up and rehabs the guys there a couple days a week. And then a guy from another club, you know, physio reached out to him and he couldn't treat this one player. So he asked me if I treated a player. So I was treating with, you know, an MLS guy, uh, you know, a week and a half ago. Um, You know, so opportunities could come up, you know, that way in the off weeks. Um, Doing some work at a clinic also here in Miami and uh, you know we'll see so it's it's a bit more uh i guess disjointed as opposed to what i'm used to but um going back to prayer i prayed a lot about leaving you know the clinic that i was at and so i think this is uh you know living by faith for sure you know for next year to see you know how things develop so um that's what's on the horizon you know i'll go i'll work atp cup i'll leave on the 28th And I'll work, you know, that and come back. And then at the end of January, uh, scheduled for Pune and then Del Rey. And then, um, that's February, March, Indian Wells again. So maybe I'll see you guys out there again with Jaime. Uh, You will. You you definitely will. will. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Jaime is, uh, keeping everything under control out there. And, um, and then, you know, so you know, other events throughout the summer, summer hardcore, and um so that's kind of that's the plan for right now. That's a beautiful thing.
0: Noel, I tell you what, man, this has been incredible in my opinion. I just I love talking with you. We so enjoyed talking with you when we initially met you in Indian Wells. And I think there was just an initial vibe. That both Bryce and I felt about you and 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 having you on the show talking about your background, talking about your path has is my opinion, it's just been wonderful. And I, I thank you for your willingness to you know share your background and and share the things that 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 you do and and as well. Just just a good great guy and great character, man. We appreciate you a lot. My yeah, friend. and
1: what you do for our show is that. One of our kind of missions, if you will, is we try to highlight aspects of the professional tennis world that don't get as much coverage in the larger media markets. That's right. um, and so I don't know how many people get to hear the perspective of the training area and the, the physio area. And, and, you know, when we go into our shows or interviews, you know, I sometimes we have these preconceived notions of what the show is going to be like. And I must say this interview has been definitely different than what I thought it was going to be. Your story, um, your story should be told more often, just, just not about being a trainer, but about, you know, this is not the path that you, you picked out for your life when you were five years old. And so the journey that you've taken, and then, you know, it's an inspirational story for people that, you know, the path is not always real smooth, right? I mean, you you talked about having financial challenges and trying to decide, you know, what should you do or what you shouldn't do. And then you hit me with the whammy and you come with the strong faith game, which, you know, Mm, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm totally a believer in, And, and, and the power of that and how that alone can make a difference in your personal and professional journey. So I just think your story is incredible. And I am so glad that we're having an opportunity to tell it.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. You know, um, it was great meeting you guys and, you know, thanks for giving me an opportunity just to, you know, to share a little bit and, um, you know, I don't know what else to say, but Merry Christmas. and
0: <laughs> 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 Awesome. Awesome. Well, like I said, Noel, it was awesome having you on with us and uh, we look forward to talking with you and collaborating with you more uh, as we go forward. So this is not it y'all. This is, we will definitely uh, have more from Noel in, in the future. That is for sure. Yes. And
1: speaking about having more, This is not our last episode for the year. We have one more episode after this one, and you know which one it is. (laughs) It is our Brothers on Tennis 2021 awards show. We'll be bringing that to you next week. You don't want to miss it. You may think you know who's going to win each category this year, but I promise you some of them will definitely be a surprise. So, (laughs) noelle once again thank you for being on the show can't wait to see you again in person and isaac i'm gonna go ahead and say on behalf of the podcast and for noelle gressner this has been your boy bryce
0: and this is your boy
1: isaac and we are brothers on tennis everyone be safe out there